Hello and welcome to the Why Vintage podcast. My name is Hattie McCann. I have been wearing vintage and vintage reproduction clothes for a few years now, and it just makes me very happy. So I wanted to share some of that happiness with you in trying to find an answer to the question, why do we love vintage so much, other than just because, of course. I am joined this week by the wonderful Missy from Curve Creation, who is also the boss babe behind Daisy Jean Floral, to see if we can answer the question, why does vintage help people through chronic illness, part two. So Missy, tell me a little bit about yourself. So I'm Missy, my name from Australia. I've been living here my whole life. I'm based on the east coast of Australia in Sydney. Um, I recently just turned 30 and I've been wearing vintage clothing now since pretty much I was 21. So we're hitting around nine years now. It's kind of bled into all aspects of my life to the point that nowadays I also make like retro inspired acrylic jewellery, which I've been doing full time for the last two and a half years. And um, I recently also started dipping my toes into the burlesque side of vintage as well, which is a natural crossover too because of the heavy vintage influence in a lot of the costuming and acts and designs and stylization there as well. And you have endometriosis. So what does that mean for you? Um, so I was diagnosed with my endometriosis officially three years ago. Uh, it took me two years of pushing doctors to get my diagnosis. So basically for me, endometriosis has meant the I, I lived life very fast-paced in my early 20s before I started having all my issues and then I went off birth control and it kind of all my symptoms started. So it basically means I have to take life at a slightly slower pace than I used to. So I need to watch what I eat or I flare. If I get too stressed, then I flare. There's also aspects of how it's changed my body physically. So I have quite a tummy now, which I never really used to have to this degree, but it's just all part of the condition. Um, and there's also possible infertility aspects as well with endometriosis. It's kind of been an all-round life changer. Yeah, I, I can imagine. As somebody that has PCOS, I, I don't sort of I don't feel all of those things, but certainly certain aspects like struggling to get diagnosed is one of the things. I was 15 when I was being like my mum was really pushing for me to be diagnosed, and that was difficult enough. So let alone everything that you had to go through and it is well it is notoriously hard to diagnose but or maybe just ignored a lot of the time um, so what was that battle like trying to get diagnosed it was very interesting my mum put me on contraception from a very early age so I think it was kind of always there but it just masked all my symptoms because I was always on birth control and in my early 20s, I decided to go off it. It wasn't really needed in my life at that point. And I'm not really a big fan of having medication if it's not required. So I went off it. And within 12 months, I went from being completely fine during a cycle to being in crippling pain. The pain was starting to appear outside of my cycle as well, which was really scary. And just the fatigue that comes with it. And I would go to the doctors and try and explain that, you know, for me, this isn't normal. This is not how my body normally yeah. functions during this time. And I found a lot of doctors kind of didn't want to know about it or didn't want to give it attention or understand it. And I actually ended up having to call the specialist I wanted to see and say, I am having trouble getting a referral. Who do I go and see? And he referred me to a doctor that he knew would actually give me a referral, which was pretty crazy. With the health system here in the UK, I don't know what it's like 
in other places but um, I live down in the southwest in Devon and so lots of them are sort of family GPs and lots of them are great but the one I was seeing at the time I was 15 and I was having terrible trouble I was in as you say crippling pain I was almost anemic I was bleeding so much and it was just horrific and all they wanted to do was just dismiss me and put me on the pill yeah and it took my mum being fantastic and really pushing the doctors and saying actually this is research that I've done online all of these symptoms are what Hattie is feeling could it be this and then eventually they gave me an ultrasound and they did the tests that they needed to do but one in ten women have PCOS I don't know what the statistic is for endometriosis but that's a lot of people that probably go undiagnosed yeah that's there's a big culture around just put her on the pill and you know she'll be happy and I found that when I after I'd gone off the pill I was off it for I think it was four years when all my symptoms started. And then when they tried to put me back on it, it started making me manic depressive. So that wasn't helping either. So it was like... It was have all this pain and also loads of emotional trouble as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a bit of a wild ride and it was very difficult as well because I come from a family where, you know, um, a lot of my cousins and my culture of my family is to have a lot of babies and... I've kind of always felt like that's something I can't do. I couldn't explain it as a teenager, whereas now with my diagnosis, that kind of makes more sense to me. Mm. I feel like on a level I kind of knew that there was something going on. Um, and a lot of family kind of can't understand, you know, the why I don't really bother trying either. I kind of feel like I can't deal with that heartbreak or possible yeah. stress. So I'm like, let's just park that and I'll have a cat. So <laughs> Fur babies yes. all the way. Definitely. Um, and how has dressing up helped you get through those moments when really it's all just a bit much? I kind of came to pin up. I, I come from a family where they dress very, very casual to the extent of like wearing pajamas to the shops, kind of casual. And that kind of never fit with me. Uh, my family is also very slender, which I am not and have never been. So the way they dress kind of never suited my body either. Um, going through your um, puberty in the early 2000s was wonderful when you know everyone was Paris Hilton and oh yeah so few women actually <laughs> looked like that and they're like but I, I can't wear that and look like that and I found vintage pretty much when Dita started coming back into the scene and Christina Aguilera did her um, Hollywood era kind of revival where it was all very 50s influence and from there I was kind of like oh that looks so cool I wish I could dress like that and then with the advent of like Facebook really coming into it I found brands like Pinup Girl Clothing and a lot of clothing stores from the states and the UK but at the time if you didn't have a credit card you couldn't purchase online and stockers here weren't really a thing so I was like it was like a wish that maybe one day I could dress like that and I remember in my early 20s, I got my first debit card. And I was like, cool, I can dress like that. And it's just, I got my first dress off eBay. It was like a secondhand hell button dress. And just how it sat made me feel so good. Like it hid my tummy. It was really figure flattering. I'm really short in the body as well. So it kind of made me look a bit longer than I was, which I really liked. And it just, it felt right. And then it became this creative outlet where 
I could, as I've learnt new things and my style evolved, then I could present myself in different ways. I can take myself looking like Marilyn one day and then, you know, looking like a 1940s woman another. It's as your repertoire expanded, it became just this creative addiction of being able to create different looks from different eras. But at the same time, it's still you. It's not so much a costume. Some people are always like, oh, you off to a fancy dress party. And you're like, no, oh, yeah. these are my clothes. <laughs> this is just what I wear. But it becomes very, you feel like yourself when you have it on. It's like you hang yourself up at the end of the night and that's who you are and how you look. And when you put it on, everything just feels really right. And when I was going through my endometriosis stuff, I really clung to that because endometriosis really made me question my body and who I was and what I was able to do in the future. And there are all these expectations on me about having a family and all this sort of stuff that now mightn't be possible. And it's like, well, at least I could still feel and look like myself and still look good. And when I have flares, I can get quite a lot of back pain and a lot of cramping and the dresses don't impact that and the clothes don't impact that. So I can wear something that still makes me feel really nice without it actually being uncomfortable or hindering my comfort in dealing with like something that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, well, I was saying this when I was talking to Scarlett Lux as well, is that high waisted things, they don't press on your tummy at all. They're the best, <laughs> like the best discovery. Yeah, it's, I remember trying to wear low-cut jeans as a teenager. Oh, God. Because that's all yeah. I could get. Yeah. And they were just, they never sat right and they'd always slide down because I've got a big butt, but I've also got a tummy. So, like, I could never keep them up, even with a belt on. And then when I'd wear a belt, it was like a muffin top and it was just never comfortable. Whereas I've got high-waisted 40s jeans now and they're the most comfortable thing ever because even with them on, they don't push everything. No. You're just like, I can wear them on a flare day and I feel amazing because there's no pressure where there shouldn't be pressure. Yeah, I, rem uh, I remember what <laughs> exactly feeling the same way as you did about the, the sort of early 2000s and like the only fashion role models there were, were these amazingly slender Christina Aguilera, Paris Hilton, all of those yep. sorts of people, Lindsay Lohan, like that's all there was. And I remember looking at pictures of Christina Aguilera with the jeans right around her hips and just going, but I can't wear that because my tummy would just hang out. <laughs> that's, I couldn't possibly ever wear that. And I was still, I was really into, it says a lot really, I was really into dressing up from our dressing up box until I was about 13. Like that was, that was me all over. And I had a lot of my mum's clothes that she had made in the 80s that were in that, in that box. And I would put them on and they all had big skirts and everything. And that was, that was just kind of the, the prequel to me actually getting into wearing petticoats all the time and everything. And it made me think, oh, no, actually, you do feel nice and you do look good. And at a time that is so fraught with body issues, your early yes. teenage years just finding something that actually looks nice when you don't look like everybody else is a real really really important thing very validating like self-validating yeah. that even though you don't look like they do you can still look nice whereas when you're a teenager especially there's a lot of pressure to you know fit and wear what everyone else is wearing but the reality is for most people what everyone else is wearing doesn't always look good on everyone yeah. Or comfortable. That too. Because I found that when with 
my puberty, I suddenly became curvy very quickly. So once again, I didn't look like everyone else. But where before I was kind of plump and it was all puppy fat and I was kind of one shape, I suddenly had hips and I had a chest. And so I was able to, rather than look like one size everywhere, which is what children do, obviously that's what children are, but it allowed me to go, oh, well, actually, no, look, I do go in a bit at the middle. It's only a little bit, but I do go in. And that means that I'm not just straight up and down. I'm not this blobby shape, even if it's only the tiny, tiniest bit. And I can accent that and I can do things with that. And it is a great feeling when you go, actually, no, I know how to dress myself. And I know what makes me look good and feel good. Feeling good, the more, more important of those two things. Very much so. And have other people actually reached out to you to say how they've taken a page out of your book and of embracing their diagnosis and everything that comes with that? It was very interesting. Like, I was very hesitant to kind of be open about it for a long time. Um, I did get some negativity from certain people in the scene locally here in Australia where, because I was talking about it a lot, they were like, oh, it's just a period, get over it. And it wasn't kind of till I got my diagnosis that I really started being a bit more vocal about it because then it was like, well, I know this is what it is now. It's not just me doing heaps of research and being like, I think this is what it is. And it's been really interesting. It's, I've had quite a number of women kind of reach out to me, especially if I've posted up about a bad day. You know, you share that experience of, you know, you're not alone. Whereas when you have endo or PCOS or anything that's kind of, uh, reproductive-based, I find women can feel really alone because a generation yeah. ago the stigma was that they didn't talk about it. I remember the specialist being like, did your grandmother have endometriosis? I was like, my grandmother never talked to me about my periods, period. Like, yeah. it wasn't discussed. I don't know. She could have had good ones, bad ones. Who knows? She probably never breathed a word to anyone. And even though I was lucky to be raised in a household where mum was always really open about, like, this is what happens when you get your period. And I had a little bag in my bag around a time when I started developing. So, like, I was covered. It was still, I found I couldn't really talk about it initially just because of this feeling of they're going to think I'm overreacting. You know, they're going to be like, oh, well, everyone deals with that. Whereas having women reach out, it's really instilled in me that endometriosis and other reproductive issues really aren't the same as a normal cycle. I used to have a normal cycle. I could do everything I normally did on my cycle when I had the pill and I was on it long term. But now with my endometriosis, it's like the first day of my cycle, I'm like, I'm in bed for a day. And generally there's a lot of painkillers, a heat crack and crying involved. And this is just something that I have to deal with. But it's always... I found it very comforting and I found that they were comforted to know and see that here's someone that they might look up to because, you know, they dress in a way they like, but then to find out this other layer that they actually experience things that are so similar to what they go through, it really instilled that one, they weren't alone, but two, they didn't kind of have to let their illness rule their life either. So even though I have endo, you know, I still dress up. I still do my pinup stuff. I'm not, I don't let it stop me. Obviously I listen to my body most of the time, but I haven't let it kind of rule me either. So I haven't, I've tried to really find a balance and not letting it rob me of things that I enjoy and that make me feel like me. And a lot of women I find when it first starts, they can really feel like it's taken a lot from them. Yeah. And it's just about finding that balance. And it's been very cool to kind of make women realise that they don't have to give up things that they enjoy, even if it just means they do it in moderation instead of doing it all the time. 
So I used to love wearing corsets and then all my endo stuff started and now I have to wear them every so often because if my endo flares up, then I can't wear them. But it's just finding that balance between what's workable with my body now and what I can manage. I think it's also a thing of sort of fake it till you make it in that some days you just do not feel like putting on skirts and vintage lingerie and sort of doing the whole thing. But actually, if you put that effort in, chances are you will actually feel put together and like to take on the world. Yep, definitely. Um, I went to an appointment recently because I hadn't left the house in like two weeks because of COVID. I was like, I'm putting on stockings and a corset and a bullet bra and we're doing the whole amazing thing. And I felt incredible. It just lifted me for that whole day. Yeah. And then I got home and even though I took it off when I got home because I had to work, I was like still like, I wore stockings today and I felt fly. And it just, it does, it lifts you. And I find there's also a culture around vintage lingerie that there's a big shift for women that you don't have to wear it just for a partner. You can actually wear it for yourself. Yeah. I mean, my partner's like, okay, cool, you wear stockings. Whereas generally I'll wear it because I want to wear it, not because, you know, it's for him or anything. Yeah. But there is this big push, especially in modern lingerie stores, of like you buy the suspenders when you want to do something nice for your partner. And it's like, well, no, you can wear it just because you want to. Yeah, that's also well, thing. I've been single for two years and it's too hot at the moment, but sort of from September through to, I think I was still wearing them in about March and then COVID happened and I wasn't really wearing anything for a while other than pyjamas. <laughs> um, I wear stockings every day and I match them to my outfits. The coloured oh. seams, I, oh, the joy of walking around going, my stockings match the rest of my outfit. Nobody cares. Nobody else cares. But I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. It's that feeling of put together. Yeah. And it, it's not really for anyone else. It's just for you. And it can make outfits, especially dressing pinups, so enjoyable because you do have all these layers to matching and completing an outfit that I think modern clothing just kind of doesn't have because it's not as intricate anymore. Yeah. You know, you have your layering of your stockings and your petticoat and your undergarments and then you do the top and then you'd have your accessories and your hair. And I love that whole, that you can create this whole image just from different layers of different elements. And I think that's awesome. And that's one reason I love it so much. I absolutely love that element of it. It's the, people always go, oh my goodness, like you must have taken ages to put this together. And I'm like, well, maybe I couldn't sleep last night because I was feeling really anxious and I thought about what I was going to wear tomorrow. And I put this all together in my head to distract me. And then I got up this morning and putting that on made me think, yeah, no, no, you're not, you can do this. Even if you're feeling worried about something or stressed or really hormonal, like, I look good. I, I can, this is my war paint. I can take on the world. Yes. I once said to someone that, like, I have very bad social anxiety. And in my 20s, it was very bad. But I always used to look immaculate when I went to social functions. And people couldn't comprehend that I looked so immaculate, but I was scared to talk to people. And I was like, this is part of the anxiety ritual of dealing. So yeah. I feel more mentally t- together if I look together. If I came in just like jeans and a t-shirt, I wouldn't talk to anyone, but at least I talked to a few of you. And that's become less for me now as I've gotten a bit older and I've grown through that and kind of come to terms with my social anxiety. But definitely looking put together can help you feel mentally put together. I remember going for my first endo appointment and I was like all frocked up and I was sitting in the um, 
waiting room being very aware that no one else was quite as put together and that I was getting a lot of looks. But at the same time, I was like, I am stressed as hell about this appointment. This is how I've coped with it. Like, I look nice. That's, that's kind of how I've been able to get to the point I'm at because I put my best foot forward and that's, it is, it's like wall paint. People always talk about like ducks being very calm on the surface and underneath it's going like hell. That's what I sometimes feel like. It's like on the outside, you would never know everything that is going on on the inside. (laughs) Definitely. Or it's really good as well. When I flare, I bloat to the point I can look pregnant, which is always really great. Um, I did get caught out a few times when I used to wear wiggle dresses more where I'd have concerned old ladies, you know, tell me I shouldn't wear high heels in my condition. I'm like, I'm, I'm just menstrual. Thank you. That's great. That's beautiful. But no baby. Um, and wearing the flare dresses, I started favoring swings more once my endo hit. I used to wear a lot more wiggles before it. But you just, it's like I, I had that coverage where I knew that if I had a flare and I knew that if my tummy bloated out, no one would die. Yeah. No, no, no. I just looked like I did in the morning when I walked to work. It's this, the petticoat and just the fall of the fabric would just hide it all so that I didn't have to explain to people that I wasn't actually expecting that I just have the condition and it makes me look like I'm expecting. And it just took away that worry of being in situations that are awkward, one for me, but then awkward for the other person when they've obviously tried to be nice because they think something's happening and that's actually not what's happening. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a cruel twist of fate, that, isn't it? Yeah, I had a guy once on a train offer to give up his seat because he thought I was expecting. I took the seat because I didn't want to say no and then have him be worried if he said to someone in the future that they could have the seat. You know, that yeah. the experience of horror at that time, he asked a lady and she wasn't actually pregnant. I was like, I didn't want him to not offer it next time. So I was just like, cool, thanks, okay, sit here, I'll, I'll pat my endo belly, thanks. So... Yeah, it kind of, it gives you that safety net of not having to kind of be defined by the condition that you have, because that can be something that's very pronounced with endo. And I imagine also with um, pox as well, where because of how it changes your body, you can kind of feel like it's always there. It's always physically on display. You always see it when you wear clothes. It's, it kind of takes that away a bit and makes you more of a person instead of a condition. Especially because the way sort of body shapes have come into fashion, it is now really socially acceptable to have a big bum. In fact, it's kind of encouraged. And uh, having a big chest as well is really like, yeah, great, okay. And tummy seems to be like the final taboo. It's like, oh, no, if you have a tummy, you have to hide it. Yeah, people can't let that go. No. Even though most people have a tummy of some sort, it took yep. me a really, really long time to learn, and that's a bit of a state of the sexual education that we have in the in the world. That you know, the bit around the bottom of your tummy, where it all, on most people it sticks out, that's because your uterus curves outwards, and it needs the tummy to protect it. I didn't know yep. that, and so yep. I was looking at myself, going, "Oh no, I don't have a flat tummy. I don't have a flat tummy. How am I ever going to get rid of this? I can't because my organs are in it." Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting as well it's, I've learned a lot through my own research because I found doctors are good for like the base stuff but then if you want that extra information you kind of have to look for it yourself and I've learned that for a lot of people with hormonal issues that are like endometriosis and pox they tend to hold their weight in the same way it's like at the bottom part of the tummy and like a little bit of a tire 
And that's just because of your condition. It's like that's how your body deals with it. Yeah. And I used to feel so self-conscious about it and I used to feel like I'd look in the mirror and if I'd look at my stomach and it was like my endometriosis was literally staring back at me from the mirror. Like, I am here. I will always be here. You can't get rid of me. And that's one reason I went and did burlesque because it was, I don't hide my tummy in my burlesque. It's like, you know, you get down to not a lot on and I'm still there being like, yeah, I've got a tummy, deal with it. I'm fabulous. And that kind of has helped me bring certain styles that previously I was shying away from in pinup back into my wardrobe as well because it used to be hide it, hide it, hide it. Whereas I do still hide it a lot, but I'm not as ashamed of it, if that makes sense. It's become a choice rather than a compulsion. I used to be very apologetic for my stomach. Like I go to a photo shoot and be like, oh, I have a tummy, I'm sorry. And you feel compelled to apologize for this thing that society has told you is, you know, a no, no, you can't have a tummy. Whereas nowadays I'm like, well, I have one. And so what? It's, there are worse things that I could have in the world. My endo could be worse. I could be in a lot more pain. I've had surgery to help it. And for me, thankfully, I've had a really good result from that. So I'm just going to take the positives and just try and not deal as much with the negatives going back to everything that you do because you are such a boss babe you do really have all vintage bases covered because you have your burlesque persona miss jean harlot and you have your always beautiful jewelry you are very busy so how do you juggle all of those things um being self-employed has definitely made it easier Um, the not commuting and the stress of having to conform to someone's hours. Um, I used to flare a lot more when I worked in an office because I used to work an office job before I went full time and just the hours of having to get up so early to get into work. My prone to flaring was higher. Um, Now that I work for myself, it's a lot better because if I know that I've had a really bad day or if my body's feeling, I I get niggles where my body's kind of indicating I'm going to flare a few days before. I know I can take it easy because I work from home. So it means I can sleep a bit later in the morning. I can go to bed a bit like, like earlier. I have more control over my food. I used to have a lot of issues with binging when I worked in the city because you have everything at your doorstep. I used to work across the road from a 7-Eleven, which was so dangerous. Whereas now because I work from home, I'm not eating as many flare foods because they're just not in the house. So it's been really good in the sense of it's let me expand what I can do based on having the freedom to manage my own schedule. And therefore, basically, I've got more control over where I put my spoons, for better want of a word, for the yeah. chronic illness. So now I can be like, cool, I've got four spoons for the day. I'll put this to business. I'll go to burlesque class and I'll keep these two just in case something comes up. So I wouldn't be able to do as much as I am if I was still working a job where I had to kind of get up at six to go to the office having the freedom to take better care of myself while simultaneously working has been a huge step. And the flare foods, especially I've learned for me that my endo is highly triggered by food, which sucks because I love food. So dairy um, for me, red meat, certain glutens. I can't have soy. It's sugar. I mean, I love sugar. Who doesn't love sugar? And it's like sugar just sets my endo through the roof. So being removed from situations where I could indulge, without thinking about the consequences also means I have a lot less flares than I used to, which is a lot good, a lot better. Um, There are hard parts though, you know, you work for yourself, there's no sick leave. So there have been days where I've been at the table with a heat pack making stock because 
I have to get it out and yeah. my flare can't stop me, but I can take the required breaks that I need and just be gentle with myself because I am my own boss. Whereas when you work with someone else, I worked, um, the previous job I worked at was really good. I was lucky to have two female bosses. So even though they were a bit older than me, they were a bit more understanding than say if I had a male boss and I was having to try and explain, I can't come in today because my body is trying to kill me. It's yeah. been a lot easier to not kind of have to answer to anyone about something that people do still see as taboo because, you know, apparently periods are still so scary to talk about. Yeah. God forbid anyone ever have one. I mean, Oh, I know. It's, it's very interesting how they can be. So for something that literally happens to almost all women yeah, for a big chunk of their life, I find it amazing that the stigma is still so heavy on it. Yeah. And well, just anybody with a uterus, it's, it's, happens to so many people and is also fundamental for the continuation of the human race yeah and yeah we we don't have this there's no babies like that's literally how it works yeah it's very they just some people can get very almost offended when you try and talk to them about it like oh i can't know about it that's women's business it's like what are we in the era of jane austen like but even lots of women don't want to talk about it Oh, I know, which I think is we need to be able to talk about it because it is just something that we all deal with. And while ever we don't talk about it, there won't be changes. We won't be able to do the research needed to know, you know, how many women are impacted by things like um, pox and endometriosis. We won't be able to develop ways to help and reduce the issues. And then you have women that also suffer in silence because they feel like they can't talk about it, which is just as damaging. So if we say that one in 10 women has PCOS, I think of all of the people that I've known through going through school and everything who may have had a diagnosis and just not spoken about it, but people that probably did have PCOS or endometriosis or whatever, and just had no idea and suffered with this pain and not knowing what your body is doing. That's almost sort of, it's not as bad as the pain, but it is, it's on the same being unsure of what your body is doing when they call it a cycle because it's supposed to happen cyclically and when that doesn't happen you go oh god what is wrong with me am I less of a woman because I can't do this am I less of a I'm less am I less worthy of being a woman because I don't do what nature has told me to do and there's all of this stuff that goes along with it that people just never talk about and I think it's not okay it means that women don't get a context so you're stuck it's almost like you're stuck on this island being like oh my god this doesn't feel normal and this doesn't feel right but because you're not talking to anyone and getting input and feedback as to someone else's experience you don't actually know whether it is normal or not and with this culture of you know everyone gets it just deal with it then you have the throw in of oh well this is just what it's meant to be like and I remember I had when my period started changing, it was this deep-rooted feeling that something wasn't right and I couldn't verbalise it and I couldn't explain it, but I knew that something was going on. And it was so difficult to go to doctors and try and be like, this is not normal. And for them to be just dismissive of, oh, well, everyone gets a period, just deal with it. Even initially my partner was a bit like, oh, you know, it's a period. And it wasn't until he kind of stayed home to work from home on a day when I was off with a really bad cycle that he was like, that's really not normal. And I was like, I know. (laughs) I've been dealing with it for like two years now. That's what I've been Um, trying to say. (laughs) 
and I remember when I eventually had my lap and got diagnosed because that's how they diagnose endometriosis where they actually have to go in and explore and find the webbing. Thankfully, they, they do a twofold where they like burn it away at the same time. And the first thing I said when I came out was, you know, what did you find? Because when you have surgery, you have this double fold of being like, I'm going to get answers. But at the same time, there's this underlying fear that you're just a hypochondriac that everyone told you you were and there's actually nothing wrong with you. So it's this twofold fear when you go through getting a diagnosis of like, well, maybe I am just nuts and it's all in my head. And But it can't be because this doesn't feel right. And the relief I felt when I was told after my surgery that no, they had found endometriosis was just it was so validating and gratifying and it kind of took that little voice in my head away that was always like, you're just not dealing with it. You know, everyone's saying that it's just a period you should be able to deal with it. That little voice kind of just went away because it was like, well, no, they've actually looked inside me. They found it. It is there. And it does validate you and being like, this isn't normal. Yeah. And that gives you the power to then learn how to better manage it. Whereas if you don't have that knowledge, you can't kind of counterbalance it in your life and live in a way that reduces all your um, symptoms I get that absolutely because for me the way that my PCOS manifests itself is it's mostly hormonal so I get some of the physical attributes and everything but I I'm on the pill so that's kind of dealt with for now and I'm happy with the way it is at the moment and obviously at some point I will have to review that but that's also scary it's like it's managed for now and I don't know what lurks on the other side yep. of stopping being on birth control but for me it's that I get really 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 bad hormonally before for about a week before like I will drop something and have a cry and that that sounds that's kind of people joke that that's what having PMS is like for everybody but mine is I will snap at people and I feel really bad about it and I just don't like the way that is and yet but I know I can reflect and go oh why am I being so awful today oh it's because of this thing that I'm actually diagnosed with and it's there's a reason for it I'm not just being mad about things and I feel like just being able to go oh no actually this is a diagnosed condition that is the reason why I'm feeling this way just settles your mind a little bit about that you are not just going crazy the, the PMS, I used to get that very bad before I was, I had a Mirena put in when I had my lap surgery, which thankfully for me worked really well. I was so nervous because I know 50-50 with the Mirena, I was like, oh my God. But for me, it worked really well. But before, it was like you, it was like I couldn't open the Nutella jar and yeah. that resulted in a 15-minute meltdown in the kitchen in the week before a cycle. And you're like, it's hard as well because logically, the logical part of your brain is like, this is stupid. Just yeah. go and get someone to open the jar for you. But <clears throat> at the same time, you can't emotionally like disconnect from it. It's all how the hormones interact with you. And it's just, it's horrible. But again, if you don't have that diagnosis and that information, then one, you don't have the understanding of why you feel like that. But two, you can't kind of work to maybe look at ways of reducing it. So for me, I try and reduce sugar around the time I know I'm going to get my cycle because yeah, I should probably that's, why do that. I know, that's why I know that my PMS is going to be really bad. I can't have soy because soy will literally send me off the deep end. But you learn and you kind of start to figure out how your body reacts to different things because you have that context of being like, okay, I have this thing and this is what it does. Well, kind of 
what can I do to help reduce the impact it has on my everyday life and so that I don't cry every time my Nutella jar doesn't open. Coming back to the, the nature of the question about why vintage helps people get through these things is because you can go, okay, I am an emotional mess, but I'm an emotional mess with a pretty dress on. And that incrementally just, it just pushes yep. it over the, the top into being an okay day. Yep, I've had days where it was like I felt like crap, but my hair did an amazing thing with the curls. And instantly I'm like, oh, that's nice. This is awesome. Cool. Let, what dress can I wear now? And it's like a flow on effect. Even just putting on red lipstick on a day you feel like crap, you're like, I can take on the world. Whereas, again, with the comfort, especially with reproductive issues, I find the comfort in modern clothes isn't there. Whereas I can wear a vintage dress on a day where I'm feeling like crap and not feel restricted and not feel uncomfortable and go about my day as normal and still feel amazing because I know I look nice. And it seems so frivolous to be like, well, matching my brooch to my dress made today okay. That seems like such a sort of ridiculous thing to think. But actually, what's the harm in it? If it makes you feel okay, crack on. I used to have great day if I match my stockings to my dress and then my dress to my accessories, I was like winning. This is a great day. Nothing's going wrong today because I am matched. So it is, it's, if it brings you joy, there's no harm in it, especially Absolutely. on days where you really need it. Well, thank you so much to Missy for joining me this week. I hope you all enjoyed listening and I hope that you have taken something away from this. And maybe if you have been feeling like something's not right, that you have the, courage to go and ask a doctor what is going on and I hope that that works out well for you but make sure you tune in next time for more why vintage questions toodle pip